Welcome to another feed drop on the Jury Room Podcast. This week we have the Freaky As Fuck Podcast, or Freaky AF if you want to look them up and subscribe. The host Sarai does a great job on her storytelling, and definitely, definitely a great podcast. She's a part of the Dark Cast Network, uh, which is something that I'm very thankful to be a part of also. Sarai, you do a great job. Thanks for, for, thank you for allowing me to put out an episode on my feed. I hope you guys go check her out. Subscribe, leave her a review, let her know how she's doing. As always, stay safe and thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of the Freaky As Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Sarai, and this week has been so killer for me. And I don't mean killer in, like, the cool sense or anything. I mean killer as in, like, it's literally draining the blood from my body. I feel like it probably has something to do with daylight savings, and I had Monday off from work, so I guess starting the week on a Tuesday was not the way to go, but anyways, at least it is Thursday, which means tomorrow's Friday, which means I get to fuck off for two days, and that's always a good time. So moving on with today's episode, uh, this is going to be about a case that has always haunted me. Um, I think the psychology behind it all is super interesting and fascinating, but it doesn't make this case any less tragic. Uh, so let's begin by talking about Lacey Spears, who was a native to Decatur, Alabama. She was well known for her love and adoration for kids. A uh, majority of her employment history involved childcare. Uh, when she was 19, she worked for a daycare where Shauna Lynch brought her two kids. Uh, her son quickly warmed up to Lacey and she soon became a super close family friend. She would look after Shauna's kids often, and it got to the point where Lacey was starting to sleep over several nights out of the week. Uh, Shauna appreciated everything Lacey did for her, obviously, but she really wanted Lacey to get the fuck out of her house. So she was getting way too involved, and she was getting all up in their personal space, which, I mean, I totally understand because, like, your home is like your dojo, you know? That's where you go to relax and, you know, be your true self and everything, and it's just kind of your place to let your hair down. I wouldn't want anybody coming in between me and my dojo, so I totally get it. Uh, so when Shauna finally confronted Lacey about this, um, she winds up getting really defensive about the whole thing, and she just kind of storms out, and 
That was the last time they spoke until Lacey reaches out with the news that she's pregnant all of a sudden. Um, and this actually takes Shauna by surprise, uh, because she didn't even know Lacey was seeing anybody at the time. Um, and this hadn't been too long after they had stopped speaking. So it's not like a lot of time had passed in between. Uh, but Lacey was really excited to be a mother and everyone just knew that she was going to be a great mom. Um, but they just couldn't help but wonder who the father was. Lacey never mentioned that she was seeing anybody, like I said, so she never named a father the entire time she was pregnant. And when her son, Garnet, was finally born on December 3rd, 2008, she names the father as unknown on the birth certificate. When Garnet is born, he unfortunately is faced with several different health issues. Uh, he was diagnosed with failure to thrive due to his inability to keep his food down, uh, resulting in him not gaining any weight. Lacey, obviously feeling very fearful for her child's well-being, uh, decides to take to social media for advice, and her notifications are soon flooded in with people willing to offer their help and support, but ultimately Garnet doesn't wind up getting any better, and at just nine weeks old, he has to have stomach surgery that prevents him from being able to vomit. Uh, Lacey takes to social media again for support and continues to post updates all throughout Garnet's recovery. Months pass after the surgery and he's still not gaining any weight. According to Lacey's social media updates, Garnet would be hospitalized 23 times. Doctors began to fear that Garnet wasn't getting the proper amount of nutrients he needed to survive. So a decision was made to surgically insert a feeding tube into his abdomen. And Lacey begins joining online forums for mothers to sick children. And it's here that she finds an immense amount of support while she's having to go through every mother's worst nightmare. When Garnet seemed to be making progress, uh, the doctors suggested that the feeding tube be removed. However, Lacey always fought the idea and would immediately change doctors as soon as the idea was brought up. And they'd continue on with this pattern of going from doctor to doctor until Lacey ultimately decides to get out of Alabama altogether. And in 2011, the two relocate to Clearwater, Florida to live with Lacey's grandmother. Lacey hopes that the move will give Garnet a better chance at having a better life. The two settle in really nicely, and Lacey seems to be the happiest that she's been in a while. She decides to start an online blog called Garnet's Journey and becomes really close friends with a neighbor by the name of Kim. And Kim notices that every time Lacey's parents would drive in to visit, uh, Lacey would kind of hide away. And that was very unlike her because the Lacey that she knew was always very bubbly. She was always really talkative and she was always outside playing with Garnet. One day, Kim had noticed that Lacey was extremely upset and anxious more than usual, and she winds up questioning her about it, and that's when Lacey confesses something to Kim, something that she would never see coming. Lacey explains to Kim that she has been getting sexually abused by her father for years, and that it is still happening, and that Lacey's father was actually the father of Garnet as well. Kim was obviously mortified, and she began to wonder that 
you know, maybe this could be the explanation to all of Garnet's medical issues. And obviously she wants to call the police to have this monster locked up forever, but Lacey makes her swear that she would never say a word to anybody. So Kim continued to go on watching her neighbors as Lacey's parents came and went as they pleased, and she just couldn't help but feel this building disgust for Lacey's father, obviously. All reasons justified. And one day during one of the visits, Lacey comes up to Kim claiming that she just kind of needed to get away for a while. She seemed very anxious and she had confessed to Kim that she had just found out that she'd miscarried another one of her father's children. And this is when Kim just fucking loses it. Like, she literally blows a fucking gasket because she storms over to the grandmother's house and she confronts Lacey's mother. And, you know, she's asking all of the obvious questions like, how could you? How could you just stand by and watch all of this as it's all going on? How could you let this man take advantage of your daughter this way? And after this whole confrontation, Kim never has contact with the family again. Uh, not too long after, Lacey decides that she's going to start looking for a new place. She comes across a live-in job opportunity in New York, uh, working in an alternative lifestyle community that looked after the elderly called The Fellowship. Now, this is just me talking personally. I would never go anywhere near anything or any kind of like commune called the fellowship because it just sounds foreboding. Employees were able to live on the premises rent-free and they even offered schooling for then three-year-old Garnet. It was the ideal opportunity for the two and they ultimately wind up making the move in 2012. When they get to New York, they're met by a woman named Valerie Plouch, who showed them all around the fellowship. I think she was a community member. And the area that the fellowship was in uh, was very isolated and perfect for anybody who's looking to stay hidden. Lacey and Garnet are given an apartment in the community's tulip house, and it's here that Lacey notices that there are no locks on any of the doors. It seemed that the fellowship didn't believe in privacy. So, yeah, super weird, but whatever. The two are able to settle in pretty quickly, and everyone in the community seemed to instantly fall in love with Garnet. They all described him as being a social butterfly who seemed happy, active, and healthy for the most part. The Fellowship are strong believers in holistic medicines, so Lacey thought she'd give that a try, as it seemed traditional medicine was continuously failing them. Everything seemed okay for a little while, but it appeared that Garnet was still suffering from his medical conditions, and at this point, Lacey was having to administer supplemental feedings through the tube in his stomach. One day in January 2014, just weeks after Garnet's fifth birthday, he comes down with a super high fever. He starts complaining of headaches, stomach pains, and eventually he starts to have a seizure. He's rushed to a hospital and is immediately hooked up to an EEG machine to monitor his brain activity. Lacey immediately takes to social media and posts about the events. He seemed to improve after a few days and fellowship members were eventually able to visit him in the hospital, where it was reported that he seemed very well. 
but they were sure he'd be able to make it home soon. Doctors were never able to find a cause for the seizure and were planning on releasing him due to the improvement that he'd shown. Lacey, however, immediately protested. She was adamant that there was something wrong and that they needed to continue to monitor him, which ultimately she winds up being bright. The hospital calls cold blue because Garnet's not breathing. He's airlifted to a children's ICU in critical condition, but doctors are unable to make a diagnosis. Tests were done on Garnet that indicated that his sodium levels were through the fucking roof. However, nobody could figure out what caused the spike, as something like this was not able to happen naturally. Ultimately, this leads to the police being called. Doctors were quick to bring Garnet's sodium levels down, however, the damage had already been done. The large amounts of sodium in his body caused his brain to swell so much, resulting in him being left brain dead, and he was forced to be put on life support. Detective Dan Carfee is the one to receive the call about a sick child at the Maria Ferreri's Children's Hospital. An investigation was to begin due to doctors not being able to give an explanation to the high levels of sodium found in Garnet's body. No explanation other than that. He was poisoned. Detectives Kirk Budnick and Greg Dunn were given the task of obtaining a search warrant for Lisa's apartment at the Fellowship. And when they gained entry, they reported feeling that something was very off. Everything seemed to be tidied despite them leaving in a state of emergency the day Garnet suffered from the seizure. They noticed several medicine bottles behind a container of salt on the kitchenette table and about 150 other items from holistic medicines to food to tubes were taken in as evidence. The following day, interviews with Lacey and her family were conducted by Detective Carfee, and he takes notice that something seems off between the relationship between them all, and this gives the detective the idea that he needs to do some more digging. He starts to reach out to friends of the family to see if they could offer some insight on the strange behavior between them, and this is when they get a hold of Kim, the grandmother's neighbor. And she informs them of the incident that took place that day with Lacey's parents. She tells Detective that Lacey's grandmother had informed her that Lacey was known to be a pathological liar. And this is when Detective starts to key in on her. After doing some research into Lacey's online appearance, they discover three different profiles. Uh, three different profiles that she was operating with three different audiences. And they started to uncover the many lies that she spewed to others all throughout her life. She claimed that she was a wet nurse that donated her breast milk, which was not true. She claimed that she had previously lost another child, which was not true. She claimed that she suffered a brain injury from when she was a cheerleader in high school, which, you guessed it, was not true. She claimed that she suffered from a blood disorder that required her to have multiple transfusions and that Garnet's father was, one, killed in a car accident, two, killed in a motorcycle accident, and three, was a former policeman who was hit by a car. And, obviously, absolutely none of these statements were true. Garnet's real father was a man by the name of Chris Hill, who Lacey had dated briefly while she was living in Alabama. The fact of the matter was that Chris was more than happy to be a part of Garnet's life, but he was forced out. 
by Lacey. The day after Garnet had been declared brain dead, Lacey had reached out to Valerie from the fellowship and had asked her to go into their apartment to get rid of Garnet's feeding bag. Thinking she was just helping out a distressed mother with a dying child, she asked no questions and complied. A neighbor had informed her that the police had already been in the apartment, so she was pretty reluctant about disposing of the feeding bags and wound up just taking them home. Now, detectives Budnick and Dunn do admit to noticing the bags when they had initially searched the apartment. However, they thought that the substance in them was breast milk, so they ultimately decided not to bring them in, as they didn't think it had anything to do with their case. Valerie had confessed to the fellowship leaders about what had transpired, and they wound up confiscating the evidence from Valerie and turning it into the police. Both feeding bags were immediately taken to the lab for testing, where it would be later found out that they contained large amounts of salt. Just two days after being declared brain dead, Garnet is taken off life support and is officially declared dead. Ten weeks later, his death is ruled a homicide. When searching for evidence to prove that Lacey was the one who poisoned her son, detectives discover a video recording taken from the EEG machine Garnet had been hooked up to while he was at the hospital. The recording showed Lacey taking Garnet out of the bed and into the bathroom. Lacey comes back into view, showing her grabbing Garnet's feeding tube, and she walks back off screen. When she returns, she's seen carrying Garnet back into bed, and he's showing signs of obvious discomfort and ultimately starts to become very ill. On June 17, 2014, Lacey Spears is arrested for the murder of her son, Garnet. During the trial of Lacey Spears, the defense and the prosecution would paint two very different pictures of Lacey to the jury. On one hand, you had a caring mother who would do anything for her sick child, and on the other hand, you had a cold, calculated murderer. According to the New York Times, District Attorney Patricia Murphy is quoted saying in her closing argument, she apparently craved the attention of her family, her friends, her co-workers, and most particularly, the medical profession. Even though they were able to provide a ton of evidence against Lacey's case, the prosecutors had a tough trial ahead of them, and with not a single witness taking the stand, they had to hope that they had enough to raise reasonable doubt to prosecute Lacey. All of this evidence, but there was one thing that wasn't being mentioned in the courtroom, even though it was on everybody's mind. Munchausen syndrome by proxy, which is a mental disorder in which a guardian or caregiver fakes or causes illness or injury to the person under their care. Now going into a little bit of history behind Munchausen syndrome, uh, it was named by Richard Asher in 1951. He had named it after Carl Friedrich Aeronymus Freiherr von Munchausen, who was also known as the Baron of Lies. He was born on May 11, 1720 in Bodenfurther, Hanover, and died on February 22, 1797. He was well known to tell these super extraordinary tales from the times that he was a soldier, a hunter, and a sportsman. And sometime later, these stories somehow made their way to be published in a famous magazine, all of them attributing to the Baron even though many of these tales could actually be traced back to much earlier times. 
The stories wound up getting translated into English by a man named Rudolf Eric Rasp, and I guess he was feeling the creative juices or something because he had decided to extend and exaggerate the stories a bit. And of course, there were some things that got lost in translation. Anyway, the stories once again get published anonymously, and the book winds up being an absolute hit. The second edition winds up getting translated to German, where it is once again extended even further by poet Gottfried August Berger. Uh, Berger? I'm not sure. Uh, it's spelt like Berger. I'm so sorry. And these stories just keep going around the world, and they eventually wind up making their way back to the Baron himself, who felt like a fucking phony, basically, which, I mean, he was. So he felt that his honor and reputation had been ruined, and no matter how hard he tried to make these tales disappear, they just weren't going anywhere. People were trespassing onto his estate to either point fingers at him for being a fake or to just try and get a peek at the King of Lies. Now, unfortunately, this story doesn't end any better, because apparently the Baron goes on to live a super sad life. It's reported that he died alone, childless, in Baudenverther, where he had been born. So, Lacey Spears showed very obvious signs of suffering from Munchausen syndrome by proxy. In fact, Judge Robert Neary told Lacey in court... One does not have to be a psychologist to realize you suffer from a mental illness known as Munchausen by proxy. And he said that to her right before he sentenced her to 20 years to life in prison for a depraved indifference murder of a child. Her earliest possible release date is in June 2034, and she still maintains her innocence to this day. And that is the story of the murder of Garnet Spears. And I've said it before, and I'll say it a fucking again. There is a special place in hell for those who hurt children. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I don't give a shit. There is no reason for you to put your hands on somebody who is of obviously lesser strength than you. There's no reason for it. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is my story for this episode. If you want to say something to me about it, you can interact with us on Twitter and on Instagram. We're at Freaky AF Pod, that's F-R-E-A-K-Y-A-F-P-O-D, on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also send us an email if you'd like. Our address is FreakyAFPodcast at gmail.com. And if you made it this far, congratulations. Here's a treat. Just kidding. I hope to see you back here next week, and if you don't, then sucks to suck because we're going to have a real good time, and you're not going to be there, so whatever. Anyways, talk to y'all next time. Bye!